0: mastering life's adventures begins now hi i'm back with uh, alistair henry and we're talking about a a slightly different topic but similar vein our topic we're going to be talking about today is the path to true happiness with the underscore true happiness and what that really means and what that really looks like and i usually give the analogy sometimes that we have three ways in which we can move through life we can move through life on a skateboard and to slow things down, be observe and look at things and not fall off that skateboard and enjoy the experience that we're moving through. Or we can be like a cork in water that we can just float and experience the here and now and be mindfulness, as we talked about in part one. Um, we can also have like a, a springboard or a trampoline in which we're bouncing on to get to see, see something higher. So we're bouncing and bouncing and seeing the higher view and understanding something from a greater vantage point. And sometimes our life experiences are moving is up to all three. Or just one or two of them. I'm here to talk with Alistair about this whole notion in order for us to move towards this point of happiness we need to know what that even means. So Alistair, why don't you uh, talk a little bit about again who you are?
1: Yeah I'm, uh, I'm an author, I'm an adventurist and I'm a double lung transplant recipient and uh, one of the advantages of being old is you can reflect and as you reflect With the maturity comes wisdom, and you can think back to different times in your life and some of the decisions you made. And of course, at the time, when you make the decision, you think you're making the right decision. But upon (laughs) reflection, you realize, wow, that was a bad decision because you were being biased by other factors in your life. You didn't realize it at the time. And I think it's a when I look back to my 20s and 30s, I was in the corporate world. I was, um, I was a yuppie. I was working very hard, progressing, succeeding. It was all about being ambitious and uh, progressing. But I look at it and I think, OK, but I wasn't happy. I was succeeding. So what is happiness? Well, for me, it's being content, feeling fulfilled, being able to sleep at night soundly like a baby. That's happiness, but it took me a long time to get to that point. It took a lot, of, um, a lot of journeys, ups and downs to get there. But little by little, I see that that was my journey, but it was many chapters in life. I'm an author, and I see life as a, as a book with different chapters, and you walk your way through the book, and one chapter leads to the next, to the next, to the next. It's progressive,
0: mm-hmm. and that's the
1: evolution of the soul.
0: Mm-hmm. That's exactly. a
1: way of doing it, or
0: the hmm exactly that's what I was thinking about when you're talking about chapter to chapter each each experience in life is maybe a new chapter that's what the soul likes too the likeness, the evolution of the progression of the soul is also on the crest of what is true happiness um, because we think it is in the materialistic world only of success or achieving something. And that's what we've been conditioned into. But there's a whole new world, which you discovered when we talked about in part one, and Canada is in a remote area about mindfulness, being fully present, having time to reflect, having time to be able to look at how you're growing and evolving. And you went into a community from, a, from one community of the corporate world, which fast paced just get the dollar. Let's keep it moving forward, looking at how we need to structure things to a whole new world saying, that don't work here. And <laughs> mm-hmm. that don't work here. And then you went from, you know, you know, the remote area in Canada, and then you went to Bangladesh. And then, you know, you went to, you had these other adventures to continue to continue, continue to evolve your soul evolution of awareness and sensitivity of the givingness, the self, the serving, of the yeah, helping yeah. is where i find some measures of happiness mm-hmm. and
1: i think when you give you get it back it's weird you know just i mean the hindus believe in karma and i have um sort of buddhist buddhist beliefs about mm-hmm. things about accepting things and uh, yeah i think there's a lot more that we don't know i mean we're only human beings but every once in a while i sense the universe is sending me something that I don't quite understand but it's there. When I came back from Bangladesh I volunteered in London and it was the Northwest London Resource Centre was looking for a a volunteer to work on their board and the executive director there was a lady called Candice Whitlock. This is how I met Candice. Our paths crossed, Candice liked what I was doing in, with my life, she'd already uh, resigned. Mm-hmm. Uh, she mm-hmm. was gonna set off. So the two of us went off together. That was 12 years ago. She sold a house, sold everything, and just set off. And she was a free spirit, just like me. Mm-hmm. And I think to myself, you know, how many women might I have met that wouldn't have been on that wavelength? And yet, for some reason, I met Candace and she was on the same wavelength. We both found what we were looking for and it worked out right from day one. Really mm-hmm. Wonderful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Candace went to um, Jamaica, Kingston, Jamaica with me for a year. And then we went out to Georgetown, Guyana for a year. And then in between assignments, of course, we came home. I moved in with my daughter because I had a bedroom in the basement and Candace moved in with her daughters. But we got talking and saying, you know, is, This isn't fair. Yeah, we keep imposing on our children. It's like, well, how long are you going to be home, Dad? You know, I I don't know, till the next assignment. (laughs) So we decided to go backpacking as if we were in our 20s. We were in our late 60s. So we just went off to Central America for four months. For four months, we just went off. Yeah, we went through Panama, Costa Rica, Nicaragua. And the following year, we went off to Southeast Asia through Bali. Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, no reservations, nothing. In fact, the first month we intended to stay in Thailand, but when we got to Bangkok, it was raining so hard and the forecast was for rain to be for another week. We just went back to the airport and got a little plane to Bali, to Denpasar in uh, Bali. So we spent the first month in Bali. Out of all of that, it just flowed beautifully. We never had a problem with uh, finding accommodation or finding food or anything. Mm. But I know most travelers have got to have everything lined up. But that's the fear in this. If I don't do this, bad things are going to happen. And they're not. They're not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, um, you're talking a degree of trust in the universe. You trust the universe oh, that absolutely. things will work themselves out. And I think that sometimes that's what we need to get more back to is if, if you're faith-based or you have a Buddhist or Christian or whatever tradition, that if you believe that things will work themselves out and you keep yourself in alignment with the good <laughs> and doing the best that you can in a situation, then most things do usually work themselves out. Even the bad things that seem to happen to us, there is a silver lining even in the bad things. If we can be able to kind of garner it and gather it um, and learn from it, because all experiences are trying to help us to continue to grow and advance in our awareness about ourselves and about those that are around us as well. Absolutely.
1: And, you know, when I went to Bangladesh, I didn't realize, but uh, I had to learn to speak Bangalore. It's like, God, you're going to be joking. I'm 62. I can't learn a foreign language. I took lessons and I learned enough to get by. Amazing what you can do that you think you can't. You just do it. Just like Nike says, just do it. And that is so true. It really is so true. We are our own worst enemy yes. most of the time because we're conditioned to not have the confidence. And the other part of us says, well, no, I've got to take some lessons. I've got to go to night school too. But no, just do it. Get to something for dummies and just read the book and teach yourself
0: (laughs) yeah it's kind of taking on the those individuals who tend to be a little bit more cautious about how they want to live life is that sometimes we need to just put our foot out there and just take the step and move forward on faith and knowing that we're doing the best we can and also be open to trying something new because that opens a new door to us that we wouldn't have had otherwise we did it We found that, hey, I actually like this, (laughs) I'm learning new. Otherwise, we keep a closed mindset and it keeps us trapped. And our soul doesn't want to be trapped, actually. Our soul does not want to be put in the box and just say, this is all you're going to do. These four walls is it. (laughs) And as our soul says, "Mm, no, that doesn't, you can put me in that box. I'm not going to be happy and I'm going to be restless. And I'm also going to be, sometimes we get into negativity. We're thinking, where's this negativity coming from? It's because you're not being attuned to your inner self. And our inner self is saying, I need more. I want more. Please listen to me. Please see me. And please help me.
1: But if you trust in the universe or whatever, you know, it sends you these things. And when we came back, we said, well... Now we were in our about seventy. We were so our well, late sixties, and we just thought, no, we can't do this volunteering anymore. It's just too too hard, and we don't want to anyway. It's like been there, done it. So what we were doing was writing, actually, at the time. As I said, I wrote that book, Awakening in the Northwest Territories, and when I wrote that book, I called it White Man on the Land, and it was about a man who went to Lutsukay for two years, and then he left. And people said, love the book, love the story, but it uh, causes the reader to say, well, we need to know more about this man that went into Lutz okay. What did he do afterwards? So I carried on writing and writing and I went right back and it turned out to be a biography. It starts when I'm born in Glasgow, Scotland, believe it or not. So Awakening in the Northwest Territories is my autobiography. And then Because I enjoyed writing so much, we continued to write. So when we were volunteering, we were recording all of our adventures. And Candace and I co wrote the book. It's called Go For It Volunteering Adventures on Roads Less Traveled. Mm. And the whole idea is to inspire and motivate other retirees to consider sharing their skills to help improve the lives of others. In the world, by volunteering, that's what we did with that. Well, it reminds me
0: of the it reminds me of the movie that came out many, many several years ago about pay it forward. Yeah, oh yeah, Yeah. absolutely. I know by paying it forward, the universe also returns back to us so much more in happiness and contentment, and sharing and giving of ourselves, and advancing communities and helping the communities to um, feel. Um, gifts that we give and as a retiree or not as a retiree um, allows to continue the advancement of that particular community and also the advancement of the soul
1: and when we went budget backpacking we wrote every morning and then just had fun in the afternoon but we realized you know that the rest of the world is cheap compared to North America it really is And most of the places we stayed at, you know, we paid $10, $15 a night and we thought we can have a wonderful exotic holiday and you don't have to spend a lot of money. So Mm -hmm. we did it on a budget and the book we wrote was called Budget Backpacking for Boomers. And it's how to do it. So we showed you everybody where we went. So everywhere where we went at the back of the book is listed the hotel, how much we paid, how little we paid and everything and all the wonderful adventures we had because for most people when they think about holidays they wanted a very organized trip you know thousands of dollars with a, a guide well we just wandered around for four months none of us spoke any other languages
0: yeah also I think I, I hear that quality of the simplicity of happiness
1: absolutely yes
0: yeah. You know, um and so minimalist we, yeah yeah it's kind of minimalist and, yeah. and the simplicity of it and that we also in our own culture we think it has to be complex to get to happiness right well
1: when i went to lutz okay in the first nations i was living minimally up there because you just have the bare essentials i just had a lot it's a lot of fish and caribou and things like this you You couldn't do the big shopping at the grocery store because there just was not the selection. So you learn little by little that you only needed a knife and a fork and a cup and a plate. You don't need 10 or two dozen. You just need one of each. So when I went to Bangladesh, it's the same thing. You live minimally uh, at the same level as your colleagues. And uh, that wasn't a problem for me, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: same thing for candace and we live minimally now very frugally it's taught us to be very frugal and Mm -hmm. uh, that's just the way we are but we had to uh, recondition ourselves because in you know we were brought up and we're primarily north americans but we've evolved
0: and still happy
1: and less is more Mm yeah
0: absolutely
1: Mm -hmm. oh Mm -hmm. yeah
0: and i think that comment about less is more is very powerful in the way for the soul evolving because the outer consciousness, the ego persona will always think, I need more, I need more, I need more. It's not enough, it's not enough, it's not enough. But the soul says, no, that's not the level in which we want or the vibration which we want you to be in. We want you to be aware of the fact that it is in the minimalist awareness and attention and a reflection that you do through your writing, for example, that allows you to tap into your soul, which is allows you to tap into something greater than yourself. And so there's an effortlessness in the flow of what happens, especially probably even when you're writing, there's an effortlessness that happens, you know, with that process because it is, we we sometimes think our soul is separate from who we are but our soul is actually integrated to who we are. And we're trying to just uncover our soul and be aware of this experience and existence.
1: Well, a little later this morning, I'd like to get back to that because it's very important. But I was saying when I was in the corporate world, we have to multitask because you've got meetings, you've got things Mm -hmm. cropping up all the time. And my mind was always busy. I was Mm -hmm. never living in the moment. Mm -hmm. I was always going running, running. And I did all those like 20 years of that. That's what I realized. And it's the same thing now when I look around, everybody's on the phone. And Nobody's living in the moment. But when I went up there to live with you, it, it looks okay. When you live in the moment, you stop. Mm. You live in the moment. All of a sudden, life becomes very rich, very full. And you can really appreciate it in technicolor. I
0: was just thinking that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Otherwise, you're just going through the motions. And so many people are going through the motions. They're running. They're doing this. They're doing that going from this to that but there's they don't stop and really truly appreciate you know whether it's food or a glass of wine everything is just a race
0: you're saying something that's really critical that we've been conditioned to live that way and the more that we live that way as a race that's going on the further we get away from our soul and the soul sense of who we really are and get into anchoring into that soul sense, because that's where the richness of our happiness is that we will uncover and feel as if we're anchored in something more than ourselves, than this next event that's coming up or this next situation we need to deal with. And that's an entirely different world. Not to say that these outer things we don't need to attend to, but we also have to attend to the awareness that if we want to have a greater sense of fulfillment and happiness and contentment and, and compassion and care, is anchoring into that soul essence, that substance, the substance of our life.
1: Absolutely. And, mm-hmm. and you know, Judith, I had a rude awakening when I went to Bangladesh. Very, I mean, one of the poorest nations on earth. And then it dawned on me. How can these people be happy? They have nothing. And yet they were whistling. Everybody was laughing. And I thought, how can you do that? You've got nothing. And that's when I realized happiness is a state of mind. It's not what you have. It's not your bank account, you know. I mean, I had all of the stuff when I was up after I retired, but I wasn't as happy as these people who had nothing. But the guy was cleaning the public washroom, my God, you know, with a mop. Oh, what a horrible, horrible, stinky job. He was whistling. And I thought, well, he, he just has a job. He's happy he has a job. Mm-hmm. Many people don't. Men, Harold, were so spoiled, so privileged,
0: really. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, you know, we're not taking the advantage of understanding that the gifts that are given to us, how do we utilize them in a way that helps others to um, move forward, but also like, honor those gifts that we're given and not just throw them away? It's like throwing out that, ba- you know, throwing out food because we don't want it. But instead, no, can we give this food to someone else who can be able to have it and enjoy it as well? And so that presence, that living in the moment, And a a different mindset allows us to be able to find maybe true happiness.
1: Mm -hmm. The other thing is community. They Because they have nothing, they rely on each other. But I noticed families were very tight, very happy. And we've lost that in in North America. You know, we're all individuals. We we go to the movies, we do this, we do that. But uh, the whole idea of being community, of people dropping in and family gatherings we're doing it traditionally at christmas and thanksgiving but it it's a special occasion it's not part of daily life and that's what i noticed there that's what brings them happiness is family the elderly they look after their elderly a lot of times the grandparents are the looking after the children Mm -hmm, because the the, well the grandchildren the Mm -hmm. children are uh, scraping a living but it's the grandparents that are looking after the grandchildren.
0: And this is a quality. When mean, you talk about community, I think about coming into unity. <laughs> uh, for community <laughs> coming mm-hmm. into the unity of the oneness of the family of the community of the core essence of of caring a concern of enjoying each other's presence that we sometimes have gotten away from because of our electronic devices that we find ourselves on all the time but they are doing it naturally and they probably have a greater sense true happiness mm-hmm. that yeah. we think with our technical abilities and our Individualistic uh, perspectives, which they have their place, that that's going to only be the the way for us to achieve our happiness. And you're talking about another way that they have been able to do that through that coming into unity of the community.
1: Well, I know there was some talk, I read some studies about the happiness index, and it turned out I think it was Nepal was the happiest country in the world. They don't have any television or anything. So this is what makes them happy. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, the other thing, Judith, really. At the end of the day, every single person on this earth wants the same thing to be happy. That's it, to be happy. Other things are important, but not as important as being happy. I think about a lot of very successful, uh, I'd say rich people that I know. Man, I, I would say they're not happy. They're just, mm, they're not happy. They're not nice people. Mm-hmm. No. Mm-hmm. The rich. And they're condescending and whatever and discriminatory, but they're not as happy as that guy cleaning the public washroom in DACA.
0: Right. And it is as if, the, you know, that person is cleaning the washroom is a person who's being fully present, as you mentioned earlier. is the person who is living in the now and enjoying what they're doing and because they're aware of the fact they got a job. And that can be happy. Whereas we kind of move into this notion in search of, we're always in search of something, in search of more, 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 more. And what we actually need to be is think about happiness and think about joyfulness. Because part of what we're, you know, sometimes people get in thinking about happiness is the end and be all. And it's, it has true happiness has joyfulness with it. And that joy of the spirit, the joy of the, it's the motor of life that allows us to be able to giggle and to laugh and to find humor in things that maybe were serious and that we end up finding, I can feel, find some humor in this. And so that the joy factor, I think, is a contributor to this happiness factor. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I agree.
1: For us, joy, it's when we can share and we see the smiles and we can impact somebody else's life either by inspiring or motivating them or giving them something. When we stopped volunteering and backpacking, we decided the universe sent us this idea. Well, why don't you put your um, all the photos you've got and your stories together into a one-hour audio-visual presentation? Go to long-term homes, retirement mm-hmm. residences, community centres. And that's what we did. So we did that for five years. Mm-hmm. So everybody enjoyed the stories and the and the photos and whatever. So it was a way of us sharing our adventure and them living through our stories and pictures and being entertained.
0: Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it brought
1: back a lot of memories. People would say, Wow, yeah. I went to Thailand when I was 20, and then they start reminiscing and recalling. So we did that for five years. I only stopped actually when I got sick, you know, because I was diagnosed with idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Eh? Mm-hmm. You, you, did I tell you about that?
0: Uh, I think the listeners have not heard about that. And mm-hmm. I think the seekers would probably be interested in hearing that experience and how it tied into, you know, the core that we're talking about, about happiness oh, and joy. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, it was uh, about d- December 2019. I was having trouble breathing. Now I'd been a pack a day smoker for 50 years and I was convinced I had lung cancer and I been addicted, never could kick the habit. And I resolved myself to saying, okay, well, you'll go out, you know, you'll get lung cancer just the same as your mother and your brother. Mm -hmm. That's how Mm -hmm. they died. They were heavy smokers. Mm -hmm. So it was no surprise in December, 2019, I was 75 and I couldn't breathe. I was like breathing, sucking through a straw. Mm -hmm. So I went to see a respirologist and it was diagnosed as idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. I was put on oxygen immediately, 24-7. And they said this um, fibrosis is uh, a chronic disease with a morbidity of three to six years. And I said, well, what have I got? Three years? Six years? And they said, well, unfortunately, in your case, your fibrosis is quite advanced. So you're looking at 18 months, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: 18 months. So that gave me a best before date of about June 2020. But with my Buddhist philosophy, I thought we're all going to die. And we all have a best before date. I just know what mine is now. I mean, some people are going to die before me. They just don't know it yet. So Mm -hmm. in a way, I felt fortunate. I thought, okay, I've got 18 months now to do what I got to do. And what I wanted to do was to go back to England, say goodbye to my sister, friends, family, everybody. So I went back to England with my wife, my three children, three grandchildren. So eight of us, we went to Manchester for a week and they came in from France. And so it was about 25 of us there, big, lovely dinner one Saturday afternoon and out in the country at a pub. That was wonderful. And then we went down to Guernsey for a week because my relatives are from the Channel Islands and we had that. So I came back and now it's getting towards December 2019. And I've gone from three litres a minute to five to eight litres, 12 minutes. So I realise I'm progressing, you know, probably got six months left. So I'm going through this last Christmas, last Thanksgiving, last birthday, last, last everything. I'm accepting it all. Because my Buddhist philosophy is to unconditionally accept what is. But my my children weren't Buddhists. They didn't accept it. And Mm -hmm. they said, Dad, how about a lung transplant? And I said, no way. Not at my age. They don't do organ transplants at my age. And they said, well, look into it. So to please them, I did. To my surprise, I found that, um, anyway, I went on the wait list in June 2020 and September 2020. I had a double lung transplant. That's yeah. three years ago.
0: Congratulations. Mm, yeah. Right. It's as if you got a new opportunity that was given to you in your oh. soul, soul development and evolution itself. And it's as if you actually, and I used those analogies earlier, it allows you first to float and just kind of be with what is, that might be potential. But then you had kind of a life raft to come through your kids saying, won't you look into the lung transplant? And you ended up doing that. And so it allows you now to be more purposeful. And that's the springboard. Looking at the higher. What's the higher thing I could do with my time that I do? And, and the grace that's given me with more time, you know, planet Earth. I, be-
1: I began writing a book in 2016, an important book. But I stopped writing in 2019 because, uh, what's the point, you know? Anyway, I carried on writing. So I was able to finish my book, publish it on Amazon. And now it exists. I brought it into existence. Mm-hmm. And people are enjoying it because it's got some important lessons in there. It's mm-hmm. a historical fiction romance novel. Mm-hmm. And I narrated it. Unbelievable, mm-hmm. eh? I mm-hmm. narrated it. Two years ago, it's about twin boys, identical twin boys, born to an unwed mother at a time when such a thing was a disgrace. It was 1920 in Lancashire, England. So the church came in and took one of the children and put him in an orphanage. Anyway, it's a big story. Uh, The boy actually ends up coming to Canada. Canada had this program. Over 100,000 children under the age of 13 were shipped to Canada as home children. They were orphans and they were shipped because Canada had a labor shortage. It needed domestics to work in the big houses as caregivers and cooks and cleaners. And the farmers needed workers for the harvest or whatever. And at the time, England, all of these guys, all these boys and girls were in orphanages in England, but people were complaining about the cost. It was costing the government to feed and clothe these kids. So they put it together, this package mm,
0: mm-hmm. to
1: ship these kids to Australia New Zealand and Canada so what w- one of the uh, twins is a, is a, he becomes a home child but we didn't teach this in our schools there's a lot of things about the colonialism in Canada that was never taught in the schools we never taught about the indian residential schools or the chinese head tax and the home children so this is to create a greater awareness Because these kids that came over, they they were part of the huge part of the development of Canada. We Mm -hmm. owe them a huge debt of gratitude. Mm -hmm. But here's the other thing, Judith, that people don't realize. I'm breathing through somebody else's lungs.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. These lungs will never be mine. Mm -hmm. They're a different DNA. And I'm taking all sorts of medications for life to stop my body from rejecting these lungs. So you wonder where does the soul, the spirit, live in the body? Is it in the heart, the brain, or is it in the DNA? Mm-hmm. And the weird thing, every once in a while, I I, I sense this other person. I can feel mm-hmm. their spirit.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I think so. It, That's a great question.
1: I, I feel like a different person. Yeah, it's weird.
0: Weird. And I think this the soul does is housed in the solar plexus of the body, and it's housed in all throughout the body as well. And so that when you have another aspect of you, which is your lungs, that there is some you know, energy, you know, as well that, you know, from that particular soul essence that was originally in that body with that love, lung, those lungs, you know, taking place. So I can understand why you could feel maybe their, their sense or their presence because they, it has some of that DNA, but even the soul is more than the DNA. Itself, the soul does take flight once the body, which is the 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 house, for example, of the soul, and then once the the body is left, then the soul does evolve and move on. But it doesn't mean that it's in the fragments of itself in different places as well. Right. So that's a great, very interesting perspective that you're. Well, that's right. Out. These
1: lungs never died. They were taken out of one person and given to me, so there was no death of the lungs. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're functioning just like they did in the other person, mm-hmm. but in my mm-hmm. body. Right,
0: yeah. right, right.
1: It's powerful. Yeah.
0: yeah, it is powerful, and I think it also ties back into this whole notion that we've been began talking about is we're um, true happiness when we get when we have an opportunity to live life more. Um, now that in this case, the transplant is like is precious. Life mm-hmm. is precious now. It is about
1: being fortunate, feeling Mm -hmm. fortunate, realizing how fortunate and appreciating it. Like we only have a limited time on earth. You know, whatever comes into our life, we just have to appreciate it for, for all it's worth. Right. And I look back and I think, wow, you know, this really is a gift of life. It's a second chance at life. Wow. Not many people get this, and yet I got it, and I'm enjoying it and doing so much with it.
0: Yes, especially yeah. in the after serving and giving and trying to give back. Whatever you gain, you try to give back, which is yeah. so ah. delightful to see.
1: Well, I think it's a, an aspect of karma, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a sort of Buddhist, Hindu context.
0: It, it, it is, I and mean, that's a whole conversation in itself, because I think there are k- karmic situations that we find ourselves in, and you've taken the best light based upon choices and experiences that we've made in our lives, that we can have that good karma come back to us just as we can have that quote-unquote bad karma or life lessons, I like to say, that come back to us for us to learn and to continue to grow. But for the soul, whether it's good or bad or indifferent, the soul just says, let us learn, let us grow, let us advance because we want to continue to move towards that greater sense of buhitic that you're talking about or the christic nature that uh, allows us to serve and give more to others. So with that being said, and as we're winding down, is there any last comment you would like to leave the seekers?
1: I would say be yourself. You know, try to shed off the pressures to be what you think you should be or what you think other people might like you. To be very honest and feel vulnerable and just be yourself. And I think that way, when you got on that track, It leads you down a path of authenticity. Mm -hmm. And with that authenticity comes a sense of personal fulfillment, happiness, contentment. You're just happy who you are. doesn't matter what other people think. Because in our world, of course, with fashion and conditioning and and consumerism, there's a lot of pressure on us, a lot of machoism to become who we think we should be but that just leads you astray and if you go down the road you won't be at peace you'll always be restless so just being yourself just accepting all your warts and freckles and everything that's it you don't have to cover them up and you say here I am world this is me mm-hmm. but that's it's simple to say but it's powerful to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree and I think that's in some ways what many people are learning how to be is to be more authentic to who they really are. And that's a journey. Like you've been on the different journeys that you've experienced and life adventures, you know, that you've found yourself in. So how may they reach you if they would like to reach out to you, Alistair?
1: Yeah. If you go up on, I've got a website, it's uh, www.alistairhenry.com. I'll spell it for you. It's A-L-A-S-T-A-I-R. H-E-N-R-Y dot com. And there you will find out more about more information about me and my wife, Candice, and our adventures and books and some other aspects, home children, donate, organ donations. There's a lot on the website.
0: Great. Well, it's been a delight to have you in this part too. I'm grateful to hear your adventures and your experiences that you've garnered and trying to give back to others. I think the Seekers will be delighted to explore the website that Alistair has just made, mentioned now. So thank you, Seekers. Take care. Till we meet again. Be well. Thank you for joining me for this episode on Mastering Life's Adventures, Being Your Best Self Through Soul Evolution. If you have enjoyed what you've heard today, I would be delighted if you would share this episode with others. Leave a thumbs up and subscribe to my Master Life's Adventures podcast. Look forward to your joining the next episode. Please leave any comments or suggestions you might have below. Bye for now.